Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program where we wander through the world of motoring and transport. I'm David Brown and in this program we look at news stories from around the world, including sales figures for the first half of the year. We discuss the judging of a car competition, but it's not what you might imagine. We road test the Honda HRV, and in our panel discussion with Errol Smith and Brian Smith, we take a light-hearted look at stories including Google is seeking art to put on their self-driving cars. Have a question or a comment? Send it to overdrive at drivenmedia.com.au. Now, let's get the program going. First, the news. VFAC's vehicle sales figures for the first half of the year show that the market is 3% ahead of the same period last year. SUVs are doing better with an increase of nearly 14%. Utilities, which includes the declining two-wheel drive Commodores and Falcons, but also a wide range of four-wheel drives from Hiluxes to Great Walls, are up only 0.5%. Diesel sales are down significantly, as is LPG-powered vehicles. Surprisingly, for the month of June, the Hyundai i30 was the top-selling car, replacing the Toyota Corolla and the Mazda 3, who usually fight out for this position. This is all the more credible performance because they sell the sedan version of the i30 under a different name, the Elantra. The ACT has made environmentally friendly cars a little cheaper by removing the duty charges on the cleanest new cars while at the same time increasing charges on less fuel efficient vehicles. The ACT Vehicle Emissions Reduction Scheme is aimed at providing a financial incentive for Canberra motorists to buy vehicles with lower operating emissions. The ACT government is the only jurisdiction in Australia to have a different duty scheme for new cars, utes and light commercial vehicles to provide an incentive for the purchasing of lower operating emission vehicles. The new scheme should help people buy greener vehicles and reduce fuel costs. The pollution from some trucks is not just all about what comes out of the exhaust pipe. Refrigerated trucks use power to keep their load cold, and according to a company in the UK, this is causing a huge amount of pollution. Not surprisingly, they have come up with a product that they claim is a zero-pollution solution. Making all transport refrigeration units in London zero-emission would, they claim, be like taking over 327,000 diesel cars off the road. The company, Dearmans, argues that unregulated units could emit up to 29 times more potentially carcinogenic particles than a modern truck engine. Earlier this year, the Carbon Trust urged the government to embrace the burgeoning market for low-carbon cooling technologies. As reported in Go Auto, the Norwegian footprint management organisation DNV has certified Lamborghini's factory in northern Italy as carbon neutral. This comes after the commissioning of major tri-generation and district heating installation plants. The tri-generation plant produces electricity, heating and cooling for the factory using natural gas instead of relying on the local energy grid and reduces the facility's CO2 emissions by up to 820 tonnes each year. In addition to more environmentally friendly power generation, the factory is also the first in Italy to use a district heating system which heats water in a biogas plant 
six kilometers from the factory. UK businesses operate over three million vans on the road each year, and research by Volkswagen has found that over half of these vans are driven overloaded. The research, which surveyed both fleet managers and van drivers, found that nearly half of UK businesses don't monitor the weights of their company vehicles, and 53% of drivers don't know their vehicle's maximum load carrying capacity. Overloading can impact on the van's driving performance and lead to increased stopping distances, difficulty in steering, and potentially tipping over. It will also cause excessive wear and tear to the van. Affecting tires, suspension, and brakes. Furthermore, three quarters of businesses do not realise that their insurance could potentially be invalidated if a company vehicle is involved in an accident and then found to be over the legal weight limit. In 1997, Andy Green became the fastest man on the planet when he drove the Thrust SSC car in the Black Rock Desert in Nevada to a speed of 1,228 kilometers per hour. Thus, becoming the first person to break the sound barrier in a vehicle driving along the ground, but this does not guarantee that he is faultless when driving on the road. At the recent Goodwood Festival of Speed, he was driving a specially built 300,000-pound Jaguar XJR. He reached 160 kilometers per hour, a mere 13% of his record run, and then, unfortunately, he crashed. Green, who was a wing commander in his RAF career and has flown Phantom and Tornado fighter jets, said he should stick to driving in a straight line. And finally, the Motoring Club of Queensland has conducted a survey and found the most popular names young drivers give to their cars. Apparently, Kermit tops the list. Others to record well were the Beast, Betty, Getsy, and Rosie. Getsy comes from the Hyundai Gets, which is a popular car with young people, but there is no indication of many people calling their Mitsubishi a Mitsy. That has been the news. Hi, David.、Uh, recently, you were invited to be the sole judge of a car competition. Now, this is a really big responsibility at the best of times, with the many dollars and hours that the contestants have put into their machines before putting them on show for the world to see. So, David, what kind of cars were on show、uh, at this competition? I mean, was it historic cars, race cars, classic cars, concept cars of the future? Well, concept cars of the future might be the way to put it, but not exactly the normal sets of cars. I was the sole judge. I'm rather proud of that, although I'm not sure how many others were actually asked or necessarily turned it down. But the cars I was judging were made from pasta before it was cooked, and they were made by six-year-olds at a local primary school. Bless their hearts. So they were more like macaroni motor cars. Yeah, macaroni was part of it, and a whole pile of other different sorts of pasta that you can use to try and fashion a car with wings or whatever as as part of it. It, it. And the kids, I must say, were remarkably creative. Yeah, so I mean, there's all sorts of different pasta kinds of pasta, and there's all sorts of different car parts. So,、um, what what are some examples? I mean, did they get what are some really creative examples of of what they did? With well,、pasta? well, the basic one, yeah, you know, the, the 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 obvious one is lasagna. 
it can be the floor pan of a car, you know, the flat bit of square, bit of pasta, you know, very solid. And you can use it for the bottom of the car or the sides or even the roof or cut a bit of in strips and make a wing out of it. So it's very wide pasta, of course, and uh, it, it's great for it. Some of, some of the other ones was a penne. Penne, the little medium-length tubes, sometimes with ridges, uh, that they cut diagonally at, at mm. both ends. Uh, they can be used for exhaust pipes. They even look pretty sexy with that sort of angle cut. At the end, of, although to be perfectly honest, I think the correct expression is penne lisi, which is uh, has smooth sides. It doesn't have the ridges down it. Ah, so, of course. Which is the one I I think I typically eat anyway. But uh, that's much more what should I say uh, exhaust pipe similar to doing that. I like <laughs> the ones too that are the helix or corkscrew ones. Fusilli is uh, part of it, or uh, uh, rotini. Now, the normal uh, rotini is a helix. looks like a bit of licorice that has been twisted together. But if it's twisted rather tightly or it's in the more original facility approach, it looks very much like a coil spring. So they did sort of, you know, the whole sort of suspension bit and everything. Well, I, I'd have to say the six-year-old's... Um, were rather liberal in the sort of uh, pasta they put around there, uh, but it perhaps was not mechanically accurate <laughs> in its truest sense of the form. Right. <laughs> it, it can go other ways. There are macaroni, of course, the little bent tubes, which look like an inner tube that have been cut into sections. Glue those together, you can get little wheels. Of course, not very yeah. good wheels, but... But nonetheless, you can get sort of round things that, that may act like wheels. Yeah. The kids were creative, though. Conchile, seashell-shaped pasta. If, if you turn it upside down, the kid, one kid used it as seats, made it look like seats, which is rather clever. Oh, like bucket seats, yeah. Yeah, like bucket seats. Hmm, exactly. And it, but if you turn it with the round bit upwards, it looks like a bit like an old headlight from a <laughs> oh, yeah, Morris of course. Minor. Yeah, wow. <laughs> mm. So I, th I thought they, they were rather clever. There's, there is other stuff. Uh, Tripolini, it's a bit like the bow tie, uh, Farfalini, I'll get that right, which is sort of the bow tie shaped one. But mm. the Tripolini, it, instead of being a, a bow tie bit sticking out at the end, it was two little round, little, almost like little cups. And so joined together in the middle. And so mm. if you put it on there, it looked like dual headlights. Oh wow, that's rather good. Yeah, so you yeah. could have all sorts, all sorts of uh, add-on options. Did Did anyone go for like the alphabet pasta, and you know, <laughs> put it on the, the number plate or something? <laughs> well, some kids did write their names on the number plates, but uh, it wasn't with alphabet. That would have been clever, although you would have needed perhaps a rather wide car. Oh, it's great to hear about David. Sounds like all it was, right, it was good, good, good fun all around. Thanks very much. All right, David. And you can hear a longer version of that interview, including some of the awards we gave to the young children, by going to our website at drivenmedia.com.au. Overdrive. If you have a question, suggestion or comment, send an email to overdrive at drivenmedia.com.au.
The first Honda HRV came out in 1999. It looked like a pencil rubber, an oblong shape with a chisel end. It preceded the current rush towards compact SUVs and did not sell in big numbers and they stopped selling it in 2002. The new model is much better looking. It uses the room inside very cleverly, although I found the legroom for the driver and the front passenger was a bit cramped. It sells for twenty-five dollars to $34,000 plus on-road. Not hugely powerful, but acceptably smooth. I have driven the base model and the VTIL, as has Brent Davidson from the Newcastle Herald and the Illawarra Mercury. He joins us on the line now. Brent, this is based on the latest Jazz platform? Yeah, it is, David. It's uh, it's Jazz underpinnings, but everything else is pure HRV. And I've got to tell you, I think you're being a little bit unfair calling the first car a pencil rubber. <laughs> Please, come on, come on. I, I, I said back in 2000 that that car was ahead of its time. Okay. It was very square and it had a very sort of chiseled down front nose to it. Yeah, but um, come on, it was as cute as a Labrador puppy, David. You know that. <laughs> Unlike this current one, which is a little bit sort of, um, I don't know, it, I like this current car, this this newest HRV, but it, it sort of fits into a mould along with, uh, I don't know, the new Mazda CX-3 and uh, there's a few of them, you know, the the, the Ford uh, EcoSport Holden tracks, which is better than, by the way. Um, mm. Yeah, it, it has this certain anonymity to it, don't you think? Mm. Uh, okay. Well, it's certainly... Uh, aiming now at more uh, grown-up sedan look rather than a quirky SUV type of look about it. Um, you know, I I just found that the the earlier one, yeah, well, perhaps it was too modern, too early. There you go. Um, there you go. And, and and too distinctive. Whereas, you know, I think in this regard, people are looking for. Uh, a sedan, but just with a bit of SUV features, because we're certainly not talking about off-road capability. It's it's a two-wheel drive car. Absolutely, front-wheel drive car to be to be totally exact, and and not exactly um, chock-a-block with power. I mean, look, let's not, let's not downplay the 1.8-liter engine that it's got. It, it has sufficient power to to deal with this little car. 105 kilowatts, 172 newton meters. Who's not going to be happy with that? It's a nice, a, a very nice CVT gearbox, which is the um, pulley-controlled automatic thing that doesn't have gear ratios as such. Yes, that's right. I I found it worked rather well. They do still tend to be a bit wheezy when you get uh, revving them out, but I thought this one, uh, perhaps not the best ever, but certainly very good in terms of uh, an improvement in terms of CVTs as they go. We were talking about the space inside, longer wheelbase, wider track. Yeah, well, longer wheelbase and wider track than a car that was built in 2000. But, but yeah, look, the the car is um, close enough to 4.3 metres long and and the wheelbase is um, a a tad over 2.6 metres long. So, yeah, look, it's... It's spacious enough. Got got a, got a bit of load, luggage room in the, in the back. It's um you know seventeen hundred and seventy two millimeters wide. Um, look, it's it's a nice size. It's uh, let, let's go with calling it the urban SUV or the suburban SUV because that's really what it is. It's a it, it's it's the new style of hatchback. Ultra low rear floor section. They they do that. They've repositioned the fuel tank. Apparently, so that they uh, the old thing about an SUV quite often is that you sat up high, but your knees were up high too because it had a high floor plan. This one they've done a little better. I still found 
that the front seat uh, driver and passenger area was a little cramped. I, I would have liked to have been able to put the front seats back a little more. Yeah, uh, look, I'll, I'll go with you on that. It is a, a tiny little bit, bit cramped. Um, you and I are about the same height, about 183, 184 centimetres. Um, not, it's, look, it's not an unpleasant thing it just doesn't feel as open as as some of its rivals the trade-off there is that the back seat for a car this size is actually quite spacious i mean look we're not going to fit um basketball players in the back but you know the the the, the teenagers will not be um feeling too disillusioned about sitting back there mm. Oh, look, I think the use of space inside, we've talked about a lot, and I think this is a very good example of it. It certainly manages to to uh, fit a lot in for what is a, a compact SUV-sized vehicle. Brent, you're always very good to help us uh, keep our finger on the pulse of those changes. Thank you very much for your time. David, I try my best, and it's always a pleasure. <laughs> Indeed it is. And that's Brent Davidson from the Newcastle Herald and the Illawarra Mercury. We were talking about the Honda HRV small SUV vehicle. And you can hear a longer interview by going to our website at drivenmedia.com.au. Overdrive. For more information and past programs, go to drivenmedia.com.au. Time now again to put aside the serious aspects of motoring and transport and take on the more light-hearted issues. And once again, to help me in that way, I have on the line Errol Smith. G'day, Errol. G'day, David. And Brian Smith. G'day, Brian. G'day, David. Errol, you have a story to lead the way. Well, if you have artistic tendencies, David, uh, and you're lucky enough to live in California, you could be part of Google's motor vehicle history by having your artwork splashed over the side of the company's self-driving cars. Entries to the competition must be around the theme, My Community, My Neighbours, whatever that means. Ten winners will be chosen and have their artwork on the side of the quirky-looking cars and on Google's website, along with getting a ride in one of the cars to see what it's all about. Would you enter, David? I don't have a great deal of artistic temperament or merit uh, to anything I do. The only thing I notice is that cars that tend to get special paintwork are quirky-looking and are seen as quirky-looking. You know, the new VW Beetle, for example, the one that tends to get painted in real estate agent colours. Vinyl wraps over them and stuff. Yes. Yes. Doesn't yes, sound that, like a compliment, David. No, it's something like saying, well, I stand out for odd reasons. I might as well try and uh, attract your attention for advertising. Yeah. I ah, yes, this is really the next step, isn't it, David? I mean, it's really advertising next. If I was doing this, I would. my art would be make it look like it was uh, the door was dented or covered in <laughs> rust or had gigantic <laughs> gashes or even, you know, offensive graffiti on it. <laughs> Make it street, man. Something about our neighbourhood, our hood, yeah. west side or something. With the word ouch written on the bump. <laughs> yeah, yeah, remember people used to do that. They still painted yes. it on their dents, didn't well, they? I, I, I was wondering if it was just to make these cars look less ugly. Could be that's what, what they're hoping for. I think they're quite cute. I can't tell which way is the front. 
Uh, yeah, but, maybe uh, that's the idea. I think it's quite uh, but um, it's I, cartoonish in its looks. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I, I guess you could say I, I, I got over, I got run over by a driverless car, but at least it was pretty. Yeah, it's <laughs> cute. I was cutely destroyed. But look, um, I think this is quite momentous because you know we think about well, what about when driverless cars occur? They're here. I mean, seriously, there are increasingly um, increasing places that are just introducing them. So, you know, in California, there are or will be plenty of these driverless cars driving around. The future is here, and uh, it's certainly not very long, I think, before we start seeing them here. I wonder whether we might not take a more serious line to it. Do you remember in Adelaide, they have those ugly stobie poles? Adelaide doesn't have a lot of straight timber. Uh, the natural timbers in the area are really long, straight uh, trunks on them, mm. and so that they never really got to be able to produce normal telegraph poles made from timber. So they made these things which were a sandwich of two bits of metal on the outside and concrete in the middle called mm. stoby poles, but they got some well-known artists, Clifton Pugh, for example, uh, from a time past in a way, but uh, to paint some of these things. And now there's a, a great competition throughout New New South Wales in Australia, where they are getting local artists to paint the traffic control boxes mm. that are on the okay. side of the yeah, road. Yeah, there's, there's one of those near me. It's actually quite, um, yeah, it's quite pleasing to the eye and interesting. Mm. Yeah. Well, it certainly gets rid of that industrial blandness mm. that yes, can exist uh, with these yes. things. Those grey so, boxes, yeah. Mm, yeah. Creates a sort of liveliness, a bit of uh, sculpture almost, or certainly painting... Uh, work that uh, highlights the shape to some degree. So perhaps it is, although around California, you know, I, I, I guess it depends on where you be, around Venice Beach or something or other. It should be sort of hippie symbols, shouldn't it? And, you know, people Captain on roller good vibes. skates. Sorry, mm. Brian? Captain Good Vibes, mm. the surfing pig. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Well, well rude. maybe there's some stuff here from Australia, you know, the farting okay. dog, yeah. you know. Uh, yes. Mambo. Mambo. We, we, well, that's, that's, you've crossed the line into advertising. Well, that's there, true. Dave. Mm, yes. Mm, mm. Have yeah, but, but, but this is, this is Google we're talking about. <laughs> Their entire <laughs> industry is based around the advertising. Um, but, um, so, so, yeah. so companies get to bid to see whether they can get their names on the side. Is that how it all works? I, I, I guess. Yeah. Who knows? Possibly. Yeah. I don't know. I, Sorry, I, 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 I think I, I'd like to submit, you know, um, an image of like a Terminator or some other kind of violent robot, but I don't think right. they get that one through. <laughs> yeah, to sort of get get that fear of developing about, uh, yeah, the takeover of the machines. Yes. <laughs> well, or paintings of machine guns on the side, which basically said, I might be autonomous, I might not be perfect, but if you're in the way, bad luck. That's Well, of course, in the US, you'd want to make sure the science said something. I'm really a white person inside this car. <laughs> yes, yes. Even their very poor record with uh, yes black people. Yes, and police pulling them over and uh, mm -hmm. yeah, brutalising them. Yes, indeed. All right. Uh, now, uh, public transport. Now, we were talking uh, a little bit uh, about that great Simon and Garfunkel song, uh, song America which uh, is of use a lot, and it, it has that line, laughing on the bus, playing games with the faces. She said the man in the gabardine suit was a spy. Um, I said, be careful, his bow tie is really a camera. 
So perhaps that might well become true. Uh, this is a story out of public transport in Melbourne on the trains, trams and buses. They are getting people to go around who are really, what, what do they call them, silent uh, consumers, really? Yes, they're, 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 they're like a um, mystery shopper sort mystery of stuff, shopper. isn't it? Yeah, mystery yeah. shoppers is the, the tradi- traditional term. Yeah. Mm. And so their point is that they go and they measure, uh, well, record on the level of cleanliness, uh, on-time running and other things that are happening with the transport system and a report back to head office. Of course, what the people that do it with McDonald's do things like they carry a little temperature gauge and see whether the burger or whatever is a warm enough sort of temperature, not too hot, not too cold. Mm. Yeah. And so, so they do it. But apparently elderly ladies, scruffy teenagers sitting next to you could be well anyone. Be a spy. Mm. Or any, they could any, be ticket, anyone with a tablet computer. Connectors. Apparently, <laughs> well, that's that's the giveaway. They're sitting there taking oh, okay. information in. Yeah, I, I think the, the the thing is that um, I think they feel they have to do this basically because all the real passengers have just given up complaining because they don't know <laughs> it doesn't make any difference. You mean it could, the tram could be just filled with mystery shoppers? Yeah. <laughs> well, of no course, it could. It, it could be sort of reporting a crime, graffiti or damage to a, to a train or oh, a bus yes, stop yeah. or or yeah. that. It. Uh, might be a, a, a way of sort of catching out the others. But, um, That's a good point. I, I, mm, I so thought it was, you, it was interesting that the, they said the results would not be released to the public. Um, I, I reckon they won't be released to the public unless they're actually good. Yes. Yeah. 32.7% of our trains are clean and, yes, and whatever. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Oh, we, can, we can hope. Mm. We can always hope it makes a, makes a difference. Well, the person you nag next to you about the poor quality of the train service might well be good. There was the story, of course, in uh, London of a guy who got a tattoo who uh, included a four-letter word uh, beginning with the letter F uh, and the name of the railway line um, uh, tattooed (laughs) on his leg, um, which was basically his way of saying that he is not overly impressed with their level of service, if I may paraphrase. permanently. (laughs) Gentlemen, lovely to talk to you. Thank you very much for your time. You're welcome. And that's Errol Smith and Brian Smith, where we were talking some unusual stories in the wonderful world of motoring and transport. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to Errol Smith, Brian Smith, Brent Davidson and Paul Just for their great help during the program. Overdrive is syndicated to stations across Australia on the Community Radio Network. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening. Mm